Hey, this is the Reverend Russell. Thanks for uh, tuning in to our podcast. Just quick before you listen, we are starting our House of Mercy Pledge Drive 2023. And we've determined that if everybody increased their pledge by $34 a month, the financial chasm that opened up during COVID uh, would get erased. So that's why we say $34 gets you a lot. Debbie, tell them what they get. Well, for $34, you get a Peace Star hat. What? Yeah, and you get a House of Mercy Classic Diner mug. Come on. And you get Peace Star stickers. Dang. Okay, well, if you want to pledge or increase your pledge by $34, go to houseofmercy.org. And now, the service. came from all around, from near and from far, just to sit here at the house of mercy, waiting for the waters to stir, just to sit here at the house of mercy, waiting for the waters to stir. God comes to you disguised as your life. That answers a lot of questions for me. <laughs> so, hey, welcome everybody to the House of Mercy and uh, everybody who's watching on TV or listening on the radio. We're so glad that you joined us. And uh, it's, uh, it's the first Sunday of Advent. It is. Advent um, meaning... What, it's a raw oyster? Yeah. Yeah, no, I don't know what it is. Advent means adventus, advantageous. I think it's like uh, the advent of something, like the coming of something sort of momentous. I think that's... Does anyone else know what it yeah, means? Yeah, I think that, that, that answers a lot of questions for me. Um, <laughs> No, we're so glad that you are all here. It's the first Sunday Sunday of the new church year. And this church year, we are focusing on, it's a year of spiritual practice, finding hope in decay, right, is the theme. So we're going to center spiritual practice in our sermons and our studies and our making and our community gathering because... uh, I think this is just a time when we need a daily practice to continue to make it through the daily stuff. Yeah. So as part of that, last week, a lot of us stayed after and built uh, 
household altars and that you could use all through Advent. There's prayer cards that go with them, candles, everything. If you did not get a chance to do that, um, you could do it again this week. We're going to have some stuff, and I know some of you didn't finish. That'll all be in the back, so afterwards you can do that. And if you made one, you can also pick up your set of four, five Advent prayer cards. Yeah. Great. Yeah. And also, as part of that uh, spiritual practice here, we're going to do the Advent ritual this year as community practice. So yeah. we're asking all of you to reflect on the Advent themes next week. This week, it's hope. Next week, when you light the candle, the theme is peace. So if you want to reflect on that and write a haiku or a sentence, uh, send it to info at House of Mercy, and we will work that into our Advent ritual. So Yeah, so what you'll be hearing today during the Advent ritual is stuff that people in the community wrote and sent in. And this is all explained in the newsletter. And if you don't get the newsletter, you can uh, sign up on the website because that's really got, um, I think it's got uh, two-for-one coupons for chilies as well. <laughs> so... Are we having a Youngster Pageant this year? Yes, we are. We're going to have it on the 18th. And um, a lot of you have been here for the Youngster Pageant. They're, um, they're cheeky. You know, I'm going to say it right out. They're cheeky, but they're also heartwarming. And the kids come. And uh, this year is a good one, really good one. So the 18th, bring um, everyone you know. And uh, is there anything you want to say about that, Anne Britt? Okay. All right. <laughs> See, see what I'm talking about? That cheek right there? She writes them all. All right, so that's coming up. Put that on your calendars. And I think now we have a guest announcer. Barb, you want to come on up? Uh, let's, in, let's hear a little walking music. $34 gets a lot. $34 gets a lot. God is good and hell is hot. $34 gets that's a lot. Okay. Okay, and I, obviously I have two very talented assistants here. I'm Barb Chapinski, and I'm a member of the House of Mercy board. Oh, jeez. I thought if I wrote it, I wouldn't get teary. Okay. I brought this quilt today as an object lesson and also to distract from the fact that I'll be talking about money. <laughs> I love to quilt, mainly because of the beautiful fabric that is designed by other very talented folks. As you can see from this quilt, I also love beautiful, bold colors. My quilts make me think of the variety and diversity of our congregation and how that makes our worship, music, and ministries so beautiful. I would like to especially point out the actual quilting. Now you probably can't see the quilting. It's the pattern that kind of holds the three layers of the quilt together. And you can't see it unless you're close up. But that's the whole point of it. It's supposed to complement the quilt and just hold the layers together. And it also, when I'm involved, I'm not the most accurate person going. So the quilting just kind of holds my quilt together so that any stresses don't pull the seams apart. Okay, um, the funds we are asking for today, I did warn you I was gonna talk about money. Um, they also hold home together, House of Mercy, home is House of Mercy, 
as a community. We are asking that, that the, many of you give faithfully every month if you would be able to increase by a, uh, $34 monthly. And if you don't give monthly, if you would consider doing that, um, this will allow the House of Mercy to, use, to have a realistic budget so that we can fund our salaries, our youngster program, continue our special events and rituals, and the other things that make the mercy. There are pledge cards and um, at the back of the church, and someone should be back there to ask questions. If not, I'll be around, you can ask me. We also have these lovely swag to give away if, if, you've, if you sign your pledge card and turn it in. We have this lovely in-demand hat. We actually had to order more because they're so popular. Little uh, stickers and the mug. I want to thank each of you for what you do for House of Mercy. Come thou long expected Jesus born to set thy people free from our fears and sins release us let us find our rest in thee Israel strength and consolation Hope of all the earth thou art, dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart, born thy people to child and yet a king born to reign in us forever now thy gracious kingdom bring by thine own eternal spirit Would you please join me in the prayer of invocation? God of mercy, bring us to a place of pause here tonight. Let us stop considering what remains undone, what needs to be gotten to, figured out, finished, started, rescheduled, restarted, or reconsidered. 
May we meet you here tonight and hand all these things over to you for a little while. Amen. May the peace of God be with you all. Let's exchange the sign of peace with one another. Before beginning, my God said, let there be cracks. Thus the light shone in. A flicker of light summons hope in the darkness. Stars dance in their light. We are brave or scared or bored or just about to give up, in or out. Strike a match, light a candle, say this prayer. Would you please welcome our guest artist this afternoon, Michael Morris. Um, <clears throat> uh, this first song that I'm gonna sing, I wrote uh, sometime in the last couple days. So I've never heard it before because uh, like if a tree falls in the woods and there's no one there to hear it, does it make a sound? And when you've only sung the song in your bedroom, it doesn't. And I, I realized the last time I think that I sang a song that I'd recently written that I choked up. So if I could get a couple people to come and hold a quilt <laughs> up here to distract from that in the event that it happens. I also am not sure that I know the chords, but we'll learn it together. No one knows the hour And no one knows the day Only the good Father So let us always stay Wide awake and ready 
for Jesus Christ to come. Remain strong and steady now as we await the sun. No one knows the hour and no one knows the day. Neither earthly powers nor the angels as they praise. Our Father in heaven for all that has been done. Join them, sisters, brethren, now as we await the sun. No one knows the hour and no one knows the day. Springtime's blooming flower in the autumn will decay. None of us can alter what the Lord has begun. Shall we sing the Psalter now as we await the sun? And then I've got one more Adventy song that I wrote more than two days ago, so I do know how this one goes. As the winter skies turn dark, may God's light shine like a spark guiding us to sing and say Jesus, Jesus come this way As the winter winds blow cold may our hearts burn warm and bold with the strength to hope and pray Jesus, Jesus, come this way As the winter nights grow long May we hear a holy song Every eve till Christmas Day Jesus, Jesus, come this way Won't you please join me in the prayers of community? I'll end each prayer with God in your mercy and I invite you to respond, hear our prayer. God of mercy, remind us that all things that have come into this world have come through you, that you saw it all and proclaimed that it is good. 
remind us of the beauty in the world and the beauty there is in every living being, from the star-nosed mole to Leonard Peltier. Help us to look for that beauty in strangers and enemies and to remember it in our children and husbands and wives and brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers. God, in your mercy. God of mercy, it's a big universe, a big world, a big life. It's easy to feel lost on so many levels about so many things. Remind us of your presence and the meaning that comes from our desire to live out your mercy in our lives. God in your mercy. God of mercy, let us make this week a practice of treating hope like an old friend and like something just stumbled upon. Let us proclaim hope to ourselves and others with a lusty, irresponsible gusto. Let us continue to try it on until it fits. God, in your mercy. God of mercy, we pray for our world. We pray for those places where wars are being fought. And we ask that you end them, that no one else dies a violent death. And we pray for those undeclared wars in our countries with police feel attacked, those they police feel pursued. We ask for detente. We ask for resolution. We ask for hope this season. We pray for the safety of everyone as they go about their daily lives. God, in your mercy. God of mercy, we pray for everyone in our lives and those who pass through our lives who are in need of healing, physical, spiritual, or emotional. We pray for those who've had someone close to them die. We pray for those who are entering a season of depression. As the days get darker, be present with them. We pray for those who are sick, who've recently received terminal diagnoses. Be with their families, be with them. We pray especially for Bob Douglas, that he would continue to fill the peace and love that he has always known from you. We pray for those who are in prison, those who are 
imprisoned by addictions. We pray for all those families where there is only one parent trying to do it all. We know that you are a healer and that you are a nurturing mother. Gather all these people into your arms. God, in your mercy. God of mercy, we've not been able to love with all that you have given us. We've hurt people in our lives, people who've passed through our lives with the things we have done, and the things we have neglected to do. We ask for forgiveness, and we are confident that you judge us with your grace. God, in your mercy. God of mercy, meet us now in this extended time of silence. Amen.
Tonight's reading of the gospel comes from Matthew 24, 36 through 44. But about that day and hour, no one knows, neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. For as the days of Noah were, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing until the flood came and swept them all away. So too will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two will be in the field. One will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding meal together. One will be taken and one will be left. Keep awake, therefore, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you must also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. The word of the Lord. There's so much going on that we, we just don't have access to, you know? Our senses are great, obviously. Seeing, hearing, smelling, I love my senses. But our senses perceive only a tiny portion of physical reality. Reindeer can see ultraviolet light. And I guess it really helps them get around or something? I don't know. Dogs can smell COVID. And a hundred thousand other things that we can't smell. Moths and bats hear frequencies that human ears could never hear. Many things exist that our senses are not privy to. And I think it's helpful to be aware of that as we move through the world, especially in areas where our senses are massively misleading. And there are such areas. The deepest realities are hidden from human senses. That's what the physicists say. The deepest realities are hidden from human senses. We don't have any sense that allows us to experience like the Higgs boson field. The particles that exist all around us, we're like fish swimming in water, unaware that water exists, sort of. I mean, I don't really understand it. But I'm thinking about this mostly because of time. Because time seems to be an important element in the passage that Neil read and in Advent. And most of us live under a persistent delusion about time. That time is linear. 
moving forward, that there is a distinct past, present, and future. But time is dependent on motion and gravity, and you can't really accurately talk about time without talking about space. There's nothing linear or universal about time. And spatially, the past, present, and future exist at once more than linear, airily. But even though physicists have been describing this for over a hundred years, and Buddhists for maybe thousands of years, it's very hard for us to internalize this knowledge. Or maybe I should just speak for myself. My understanding is confined by the limitations of my senses and probably a lot of other things, and there's a lot I don't understand, including time. Maybe Matthew was a little less confined by his functional sensory perception than I am, I don't know. But he keeps switching in chapter 24 that Neil read between talking about the past, the present, and the future in a way that makes them seem sort of undifferentiated. Like at one point, he's talking about the destruction of the temple, which when he was writing had already happened, but he writes like it's in the future, and then he switches from talking about the past as if it's the future and starts really talking about what hasn't happened yet. Then he starts talking about the end with a capital E, the end of the world as we know it. I think it could be helpful, possibly hopeful, certainly perspective shifting to keep in mind that time is weirder and wilder than we usually experience it. What seems to me to be jumbled up in Matthew's little apocalypse might actually be a more accurate representation of this layered sort of reality that our senses don't perceive. And the church's seasons usher us into this layeredness even though we can't completely comprehend it. I mean, does that seem at all plausible to you? It's the first Sunday of Advent, and every year on this Sunday, four weeks before Christmas, instead of focusing on the coming of Jesus as a baby in the manger in the first century AD, the church looks toward the second coming of Christ, is how it's often put, which is usually connected with the end of the world as we know it. Advent means the arrival of something momentous. The church spends four weeks looking towards this momentous thing. Looking back and looking forward, if those are even world words that make any sense to non-linear time, but towards God coming into the world, then, now, later, forever, always, and at the end of time. Which isn't actually something I feel capable of talking about, the end of time, because WTF does that even mean? <laughs> Advent calendars don't seem very helpful. They get us waiting for the arrival of a date on a calendar, a contrivance humans with our sensual limitations invented. But what we're watching for this season, trying to be awake towards is something far more thick and substantial and all-encompassing and multidimensional than a date on a calendar, obviously. We are waiting, we are watching 
for Christ to come. Jesus says, watch and be ready for this of the day and hour no one knows. His point seems to be that you can't know. Maybe you can't understand the way you're used to understanding. Don't think calendar. Think, how do you be? How do you act? How do you practice knowing God is, was, will be incarnate in the world, God the merciful, God the lover, the creative, the spirit of peace in the world. Don't miss it. There is a sense of urgency in this text, like it's a matter of life and death. Are you alive? Are you awake? Are you aware? I'm not sure if Jesus understood the space-time continuum. I mean, presumably God understands ultimate reality, even though human senses are incapable of apprehending it. But if God understands us humans, God knows we need something concrete, if not totally comprehensible, then at least something tactile, at least something we can touch or imagine with our brains the way they are. And so Jesus in the midst of talking, all this apocalyptic eschatology gives us a story, something our senses can relate to. He gives his hearers a story they'd be familiar with. The second coming, the end will be like the days of Noah, he says. Well, that's quite a story to pull out. I don't know how it felt to Matthew's generation, but I was like, wow, that does feel timely. I mean, the sea level is rising. The planet is going under. I can feel the waves lapping at my feet. It's a very old story, Noah. It's one of the first stories in the Bible, just five chapters after God creates the earth. God can already see how destructive the humans have turned out to be. God sees they are cruel and violent and corrupt. And it grieves God deeply to see this. God aches with sorrow in his heart, is what the text says. God seems vulnerable here in the story of Noah. God made the humans, after all, as part of this complex creation, and God thought it was a masterpiece. This creation, God loved it, was really satisfied with the work. It seemed beautiful to God. But maybe God should have been more circumspect about the work? A little more careful or something? Because as it turns out, the humans were cruel and violent and corrupt. God brought them into being, loved them, thought they were great, but they turned out to be so destructive. And though it grieves God deeply, it seems like the best thing was to recognize it wasn't such a great masterpiece after all. So start over. But instead of destroying everything, God finds Noah, so the story goes, finds hope in him, so God enlists Noah to build an ark, which seems like a huge ask, really, but also sort of small and futile in the face of planetary destruction. But Noah is willing to help God by building an ark, but that's not all. God asked Noah to go and find two of every kind of living creature. Find them 
bees and birds and ants and spiders and giraffes, which I don't think even lived very nearby Noah. And bring them all into the ark, and then, once the flood comes and they're shut up inside, feed them and keep them alive. This is the story Jesus chooses to use as an example of what the people might grasp onto to understand their situation, what they should do while they wait for the end, how they should be, how to watch and prepare and practice. I think it's kind of gorgeous, and it's also a little like, wow, that's a lot. Imagine taking care of all the needs of all the creatures on the ark. I mean, okay, the goat will eat anything, but I mean, how do you feed the butterfly? (laughs) Just think of the kind of attention that practice would involve. I don't think you'd have a lot of time to doom scroll. This story Jesus points to is pretty much the opposite of the whole left behind scenario that some of us encountered in our lives when people talked about the end times. In that scenario, Jesus comes and sweeps up all his people in the end and takes them to heaven and leaves the unfaithful people behind to suffer through the tribulations on earth. But in the story of Noah, it's the unfaithful get swept away by the flood and it's the faithful that are left behind to do a lot of hard work. Build an ark, save the species, nurture the animals, plant a vineyard. Once they finally land and make wine, drink it, which seems well-deserved after all those nights in the ark with the bees and the spiders and the giraffes. This is the covenant that God establishes with Noah. The people Matthew was writing to had already experienced enormous destruction in their lives at the hands of the Roman Empire. Their religious institution, their temple, their city, their way of life was reduced to rubble. They were defeated, it seemed, by the powers of death in the world. Josephus, as a historian of that time, says, the empire had laid all signs of beauty to waste. That doesn't sound totally unfamiliar. How do you practice in the midst of such catastrophe? Maybe Matthew's generation believed God would protect him from the ravages of the empire, but that wasn't what was happening. Jesus acknowledges how devastating it was, is, and will be. And then he points to this coming. Keep watching, stay awake, be alive. Not like keep your eyes on the sky and your hands folded, but build an ark is the metaphor that he chooses. Make rooms in it and coat them with pitch. Consider all the species. Gather them and what they need to eat. Protect them and feed them. Keep them alive. Christ will come again and again and again, but don't look for it on the calendar. Jesus is certain of this. His followers will be the ones working on the ark at the grindstone in the field, growing climate change resistant crops maybe, or 
shutting down the fossil fuel industry, or working with kids who have experienced trauma, or teaching art, or nursing the sick, or making music, or mosaics, or lesson plans that wake us up, or writing legislation to protect the planet, or protesting legislation. I mean, there are endless ways to build an ark. Jesus indicates over and over again in the Gospels that there's a lot of work to be done, a lot of hungry, thirsty, broken captives, and he needs us. Apocalyptic, the mode that Matthew is writing in our passage, is a way of writing that reveals there is a struggle, there is a struggle between God and the powers of death. And the entire cosmos is enslaved to these powers. I mean, it may be a revelation, but at one level it seems obvious, doesn't it? Death and deathliness are all around. Black Friday, the waters are rising everywhere, threatening to paralyze us with hopelessness and fear. To be Christ followers is to participate in the struggle against the powers of death. The faithful are a part of God coming into the world. It's what it means to be a Christian. Not that you're going to be swept away to heaven, but that you participate in the struggle. You are included in the resistance. What an honor, you know, really. Maybe even what a joy. What could be more life-giving than to be part of that resistance? Jesus isn't asking people to wait piously, keeping their hands clean and their ducks all in a row, waiting to be rescued. He's trying to enlist people, to enlist them to resist the power of death. What has God done and what's God doing? Defeating death in all its subtle and not so subtle manifestations, suffocations, the forces that oppress and take away life. Those forces seem pretty powerful. But the stories in the scripture proclaim over and over and over again that death will be defeated. And our call as humans participating with God in the struggle against the powers is to make humanity more alive, more humane, more fully human. It's a lot. But we get to take part in the liberation of the cosmos from the powers of sin and death. It's so much fuller and multidimensional and thick than some personal drama of personal salvation. The powers, they're threatened when you take them on. When you look death in the face, but you keep making rooms in the ark, covering them with pitch. The powers are threatened when you look death in the face and love someone anyway. Jesus wants us in the resistance. And I think that you know how to participate in the resistance. I see you doing it all the time. I know we all can, we all do act in the face of death, love in the face of death, even when the destructive forces seem to be winning. We feed our children and all sorts of other people plant seeds, play instruments, make art, sell our cars, ride bikes, we sing and bake and quilt and pray and meditate. Sometimes we rage against the machine. We practice 
creating life, even though death is on the horizon. Sometimes we manage to throw a wrench into the system that stops the gears spinning long enough for a trumpeter swan to escape, or a whooping crane, or a pink pigeon. In spite of all appearances, death is not going to win. Don't be paralyzed. Be free. You are part of the liberation. And God is in it with us. Angels, we have heard on high, sweetly singing o'er the plains and the mountains in reply, echoing their joyous strains. See?